0: This is the craziest thing you have probably heard today, and it absolutely 100% came out of the mouth of one of the three or four biggest stars of the Democratic Party in the year of our Lord, 2022. So the next time someone tells you that a Republican or the Republican Party is a conspiracy party or a conspiracy theorist, remind them that one of the leading stars of the American left does not believe that human babies have hearts or actual heartbeats.
1: Attention passengers, we ask that you please fasten your seatbelts at this time and secure all baggage underneath your seat or in the overhead compartments. Flyover Country with Scott Jennings is prepared for takeoff.
2: In fact, it is. And welcome to Flyover Country. I'm your roundtable host, Joe Arnold. I'm so happy to To connect with our many listeners across the country, gentlemen, because I'm we're hearing from more and more people that they're they're stopping Scott at random places, saying,
3: <laughs> "Hey, I heard Sean and
2: Kevin and Jared on Flyover Country, and Sean is here, Kevin's here, Jared's here, and Scott is here. Scott, welcome back to your own show.
0: Thank you so much. Did I miss one? Or <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, we recorded one without do, you. Do a, <laughs>
3: I mean, I mean a- Kevin.
0: Kevin. Kevin missed one, and yes. you missed one. But I sort of feel like I'm the. I'm. I am i am i do not ever miss one. Hmm. I don't know how many vacation days we get on Flavory Country with Sky <laughs> but I need. I may need to call HR at the show here. Yeah, exactly. Hey, a busy week. And and I want to start, guys.
2: It just seems to be a lot of. Let me. Re- you know, let me uh, revise my remarks. This is sort of like the senatorial courtesy going on here, all across. The, uh, the the spectrum politically. I'm hearing a lot of Democrats explaining what Stacey Abrams meant to say, and in, in, uh, in a variety of things about whether her election was stolen, and now about uh, when when you can hear a heartbeat and, and what is manufactured by, I guess, ultrasound manufacturers. You have uh, uh, Anthony Fauci trying to say what he really meant, but Scott, I want to start you with uh, with 60 Minutes last Sunday, and Joe Biden telling Scott Pelley the pandemic is over and we have spent the entire week since then with the white house trying to say, that's not really what he meant.
0: Yeah, it was uh, really kind of a, a fascinating uh, 24 hours there between the time, or even, maybe even 12 hours between the time Joe Biden said that. And then uh, all of his staff and other people around him swinging into action to, to walk it back. And, and the reason is very simple. Because so much of what Joe Biden has done or what he has argued publicly uh, hinges on whether we are in a pandemic emergency. Most recently, uh, his executive uh, fiat to relieve uh, uh, perhaps upwards of a trillion dollars of student debt is completely based on the idea that we're in an emergency because of the pandemic. And if Joe Biden goes on television and says the pandemic is over, then obviously uh, I'm sure a court is going to take that into consideration when the inevitable lawsuits are filed. And so the scrambling this week uh, has been has been quite something, not only on that, Joe, but then also on Joe Biden's pronouncements about defending Taiwan from China, which then prompted (laughs) the White House staff to also come in and say, well, what he really meant was. It it was really it was really kind of fascinating. And uh, and and the person that that I thought was really most fascinating was Corinne Jean-Pierre, who went on live television in a few places and absolutely treated Joe Biden like a brainless, senile husk in terms of the way she talked about what he meant. And, well, you know, he was at a car show. (laughs) He was distracted by the shiny automobiles. I mean, they really infantilized the president of the United States. I, I was stunned by the whole thing, guys.
1: It, he's not the only one she thinks stupid because she thinks we're all stupid too. The way she explains it away is, "Oh, you you simple rubes just didn't understand what he was saying." When he says the pandemic is over, he packed a lot of subtext in the into those four words. He said, "Well, we've come through a lot, and it's not as bad as it used to be, but you know, lots of people are still dying." I mean, the. I guess I'm just not smart enough to really pick up what he was saying when he utters four words,
4: I think too that you know this is becoming a bit of a pattern where it seems like they're kind of upset at Grandpa Joe for wandering out here on a limb and they have to go collect him and bring him back and remind him that uh their people are not ready to move on from from covid uh they will never move on from covid uh and- let me ask you
2: yeah, let me ask you a que- all, all you guys a question on that thing about moving on and Sean we will start with you is is there a political – I mean the, the political benefit, though, of Joe Biden saying the pandemic is over, basically he, he's saying we won. We did it the right way, and as a result, we're overcoming it. So he's kind of stuck there.
4: Yeah, well, I mean I think that that's, that's a good thing for him to say. I think that the pandemic is over, but apparently he needs to have like you know a staff meeting and tell his employees <laughs> that it is. But, but,
0: here, but, but here's the thing. I mean is it a good thing – I mean for, for the vast majority of Americans – We concluded that the pandemic was over months and months and months ago. And meanwhile, Joe Biden's administration, in the midst of everyone sort of getting back to normal life, was still in court arguing that it had the authority to cause people to have to wear masks on airplanes. They're still using the emergency as the underpinning for for all these things, these expensive things that that he wants to do. And so here a few weeks before the election, for him to say, well, the, the pandemic is over, And I just wonder how many Americans went, well duh. I mean, are you the last one? (laughs) You're the last one to this party. And so I I don't know, I occasionally think that his instinct is to do things, but it's it comes so far after the fact that it just makes him seem dumber than if he had just acknowledged the reality at the time it was occurring.
1: And it's it's laughable when it comes to the pandemic because as you said, Scott, so many of us are just back to living our normal lives. But when it comes to something like Taiwan, and I think we've actually even talked about this on the podcast before, it is a serious national security threat if our allies and our adversaries can't trust the words coming out of the commander-in-chief's mouth. If he says something and then, well, we have to really hear what the advisors think after the fact. Will the United States take military action in Taiwan? We don't. Nobody actually knows now.
0: Well, part of our national policy, though, is and you know, not not to stick up for Joe Biden and, and his team, which I think routinely botches these national conversations. But part of our strategy is strategic ambiguity. And so we, we do want to keep the Chinese. <laughs> was this guessing, ambiguity I or is this just straight up confusion? But but I, I do think it's a fair question about whether the president is on the same page with the rest of the White House staff, A. B, I, you know, I, I wonder I wonder what the Congress thinks about it. C, uh, given given our posture in Ukraine, obviously Ukraine and Taiwan are different situations. But you know, the American people did not want to be in a war in Ukraine. They've been supportive of us funding the Ukrainians and sending weapons, but they had no appetite uh, to send American troops into harm's way. And so it it does raise some national questions about of uh, China rolled into Taiwan tomorrow, wh- what would we do and what would the political appetite among the American people in the Congress really be uh, for plunging the United States into a war with, with presumably a much more advanced adversary, in this case, the China as opposed to Russia?
2: You know, we talked about the, the comment to Scott Pelley on 60 Minutes, the pandemic being over and how that has been walked back all week long on the Taiwan issue, it was actually walked back during the 60 Minutes story because Pelley said, after we concluded our interview, the White House basically you know, re- reached out and said, here's what he meant. You know, that the policy of the U.S. really has not changed.
0: Yeah, that, th- this interview reminded me why Joe Biden rarely does these kinds of interviews. <laughs> uh, he's just not it just is not his thing. And, and he's done so few of them. I mean, also during this interview, uh, we haven't discussed yet, but perhaps most politically impactful was his answer to the inflation question. Oh, yeah. You know, Pelly, oh, yeah. P- Pelly brings Pelly brings up a, a legitimate point about you know people getting crushed at the grocery store, and Joe Biden <laughs> Joe Biden's answer he was was so out of touch and so defensive and so ridiculous. Well, it only inched up a little bit, you know, just barely <laughs> it just barely went up. There's just no acknowledgement that it's at a 40 year high, and so I um you know I think if you're just the average American voter, I mean we can all read the polls here. Inflation's still the dominant issue. And for Joe Biden to have no in touch or legitimate answer on that or at least any empathy at all for the fact that his policies have crushed the American people to me might might actually be the most politically impactful thing that happened in the uh, in the interview.
4: Hmm. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean this is this is you know old school Scranton Joe. I mean he's he's supposed to have this empathy, this relationship with relationship with the middle class and there was none of it. In fact, I think there was a lot of annoyance and anger uh, in his face. He, he, you can tell he's very thin-skinned because uh, when he does get these questions, uh, his, his face changes and he, he, he tends to get a little angry. Uh, you, you can tell whenever he uh, gets asked those questions.
2: I have to ask about the inflation thing overall, just so I'm clear on what the, what, the, what the argument is. Is it that because it's not going up at the same skyrocketing rate as it was before, even though it hasn't come down, Basically, you've gotten used to it, and then basically, and learned to live with it. I, I truly, am, I'm, I'm asking this question from the middle of flyover
0: country because this is what's being told to me by, by the people in DC. Well, I don't understand the the, the the argument the White House is making. Well, let's start with gas prices because the argument they're making on gas prices is: well, we have you chained in a dungeon and we were beating you a hundred times a day, but now we're only beating you fifty times a day. And the fact that you're not more grateful for that 50 percent reduction in beatings we don't understand now on inflation at the supermarket the argument is well we're beating you a hundred times a day and this month we're going to beat you 101 times and so i don't understand what the big deal is it's not that many more beatings why are you so upset i mean this is like (laughs) this is their this is their argument to the american people and and they just expect people to to accept that and i And of course, it's reflected in their political campaign strategy. You know, the Democratic candidates want the entire election to be about Trump and abortion and climate change and everything else. They have no answer or no empathy on inflation, which is, I mean, despite what you may have seen on television, is the top issue in the country. It gets not as much conversation. Everybody loves covering abortion. Everybody loves covering other things. Inflation's the top issue. It is by far the top issue. Uh, and uh, and the Democrats treat it like it's a non-issue, which I think is a very dangerous political strategy.
1: Well, Scott, you forget mm. they passed this pretty bill called the Inflation <laughs> Reduction Act. Therefore, in- inflation is gone. They passed the bill. It, it has to be gone. That's how things work.
3: The, not to continue to to beat this analogy to death huh. here, but the other like annoying, or, like to me, the most frustrating part of it, too, is that when you're getting those 100 beatings, it's like he walks in and he's like, I can't, can't do anything about it. And then they go down to 99 beatings and he's like you're welcome you're welcome look at what i have done you look at what i you know it's it, this the gas prices stuff when they're going up guys we can't do anything this, it's putin's war this is putin's price hike and then they drop down and they have been consistently dropping down there's no denying that they're still above where they were a year ago mm-hmm. and they're like you're welcome guys look i mean we have we have saved you all this money it's it's oh god it just grinds my gear <laughs>
0: On the on the on the gas prices in particular, you 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 may remember when gas prices were over five dollars a gallon that it was the fault of Vladimir Putin. Then it was the fault of the oil companies, and then ultimately it became the fault of the mom and pop independent uh, convenience store owners yes. who Joe Biden once admonished just to go outside and change the price on the <laughs> sign. It was well within their power uh, to alter the price of gasoline if they would only change the price on their sign. Now. In the wake of gas prices having come down, I am unaware that the White House has scheduled uh, uh, a ceremony to give Putin and the oil company CEOs and the mom and pop gas station owners the presidential medal of freedom. Because it seems to me it's it's their honor here. It's their credit, because if they were the cause of all this, only they, I was told, (laughs) could be. The reducer of it. And so I, I'm just I'm still waiting for their for their decorations, for bringing down gas prices for the American people.
2: I keep a pretty close eye on uh, the energy sector. And, In you up. know, it's interesting <laughs> is that the, the, the real the, the, the biggest pain that's going to be felt by Americans yeah, it's, it's, it's already being felt, and inflation is being fueled by the fact that the country has disincentivized reliable energy and incentivized unreliable, and to the point now where, where the natural gas prices that we're experiencing are, are causing these energy prices to go up. But the, the, the interesting thing is, is that they're going to be the worst after the midterm election is over. I mean, even there, it's, it's going to be a delayed reaction. People might even want to go back and look at their vote again in November after they realize just how horrible it's going to be uh, because of these policies having this net effect.
0: Joe, I, I really think your insight on this is valuable. I've, I've been reading up about um, sort of the energy situation and 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 the global impact of what's happening. I mean, as we sit here today, you know, somebody somewhere in Germany is chopping wood and storing firewood for the winter. It it is going to be brutal in Europe this winter because of their energy situation, particularly in Germany and the dependence on the Russians who have cut them off. And there is a big debate going on, I, I would assume, inside the Biden administration, Joe, because there are going to be energy producers in the United States, who Biden, I think, has tried to restrict anyway, who will believe they can make more money exporting energy to Europe than they can selling it in the United States. And I, I assume the Biden administration's got a decision to make here about whether they're going to limit or restrict uh, heavily restrict energy exports. Joe, what, what are your insights on that? Well, I'm curious. I was, and, and to
2: be clear about energy exports, you're not talking about exporting electricity, certainly you're talking about exporting natural gas, liquefied natural yes. gas, and to go over. And, and there also is a national security aspect of that as well, like a Berlin airlift type situation because of how Europe is really – um, sideways with all of this because of their their reliance on the Nord Stream pipeline from, from Russia. Um, so I, I think there's a couple of different things. A, I think you're, you're right. There's going to be some pressure on the Biden administration to, to try to you know, manage this more, more carefully. Frankly, I think from a flyover country perspective or maybe from an American middle class perspective, you know I also think that there will be more pressure to pass more emergency funding for people to help with their what their uh, with their heating bills, but what happens there is the people who are the wealthiest are fine. The people who are on the lowest ends are going to get this relief, and the vast middle class is going to have no help at all. And going and, and that's that's basically the ones who are getting you know uh, destroyed under the stick throughout the entire inflation
0: um, you know situation here. So no, I think but you're right though. In, and Joe in, in, and Joe world and, is and, yeah. and and to and to make sure I understand it correctly because I think this is a key issue. I mean, the summer saw pretty high utility bills for a lot of Americans, but is is it your opinion that we're going to see even higher heating bills this winter across the country?
2: Absolutely. And in fact, I mean, you look at even the, the mainstream media right now, there's, you can just Google this. NBC had news had a story tonight. NPR had a story last week, all kind of talking about this. The issue is people don't really hear this until they open their bills. And it's a situation where it's like a, I don't know, it's a hurricane that's right now, you know, a tropical depression off the coast of Africa. And as a result, you're not quite, you know, understanding it until Florida starts getting hit or the Gulf coast in some way. And I think it's similar with this situation is that all these warnings don't really make a difference. Now we certainly have seen the, the air conditioning and the energy bills overall fueling inflation, or at least a big part of it, you know, throughout the summer. And that again has to do with, and this is, this is the, the problem because it's it's, it's not an immediate cause that you can see right in front of you. And so it's hard to to translate, but again, U S policy under the Biden administration has, it has discouraged or has basically it's, it's saying do away with the reliable sources of energy because of climate change. In other words, do away with coal, you know, and, and as a result of that, and we, we want more renewable, the problem there, of course, is, is that from a cost benefit standpoint, it's going to cost you a ton more And you get less reliability. Look what happened in California, you know, over the summer where they came very close to having blackouts and brownouts out there. But ultimately, what you're asking me, though, is that, yeah, are we going to see a very big increase in electric bills and in heating bills this winter? Absolutely. And there's no way to avoid that right now.
0: Yeah, that's that's really going to be. Well, we'll see who Joe Biden decides to blame (laughs) over the uh, over the win. I mean, he'll
4: probably blame Joe Arnold. So
1: Joe, other, Joe. other joe's problem <laughs>
2: yeah you guys you guys can just you can give them some coaching on how to do that it's a pretty common theme here on flyover country <laughs> 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 uh, revising and extending my remarks let me go back to Stacey abrams now scott uh, oh man the, so a couple different comments this past week in a moment here we're going to cue up a uh, soundbite about uh about the abortion issue and whether a fetal heartbeat can be heard or not, or whether someone's manufacturing that sound. But first, she's trying to draw a distinction between what Donald Trump disputed as far as his election being stolen and what she said about her, her election being stolen. This is again a situation where maybe I'm just a little bit too dense to understand. You have to explain this to me. What is the difference?
0: Well, what Abrams said this week was that she was simply refusing to concede the 2018 gubernatorial race because she thought the process by which it was conducted was unfair. Now, if you if you think this sounds familiar, it's because it's exactly what Donald Trump and his people argued was that the process that occurred, you know, with rules changes and other things in various states was unfair. Now, the media and the Democrats have spent uh, you know almost two years now beating every Republican about the head and neck uh, using the term election denier, election denier. But now Stacey Abrams is reconfirming and reminding us that Democrats are the original election deniers. In fact, Donald Trump may have learned it from them. Stacey Abrams did not and would not concede the 2018 race. She's still defending her decision not to concede the 2018 race. And there's there's really no difference between her views and Donald Trump's views. I mean, at the time and now, I believe Stacey Abrams believes that had the election been conducted under some other circumstances, she would have won. I mean, she believes her people were were unfairly, uh, or her voters were were unfairly somehow screened out of the process, and therefore she lost. Donald Trump believes that his voters were unfairly uh, disadvantaged, or that Joe Biden's voters were unfairly advantaged and therefore he lost. They they really believe the same thing. And so this week, with a slate of polls coming out showing Stacey Abrams losing to Brian Kemp in Georgia, we start to learn why, because everybody in Georgia knows Stacey Abrams is really the left-wing QAnon. I mean, (laughs) she is like the, the, the biggest conspiracy theorist in the Democratic Party, and it came out on this election situation. And, Jared, I think we have the audio. It then came out, she made some comments about abortion, that were so crazy that it set the internet on fire today. Jared? There is no such
4: thing as a heartbeat at six
1: weeks. It is a manufactured sound designed to convince people that men have the right to take control of a woman's body and from them.
0: Now, if you didn't hear, if you didn't hear that clearly or you didn't hear about this today, let us recap what Stacey Abrams said today. She said that human babies do not have hearts. They do not have heartbeats. She said that human babies, uh, when they go in, uh, when, when pregnant women go in for their uh, uh, doctor's appointments, that there are machines that manufacture, artificially manufacture the sound of a human heart. And it tricks parents into believing <laughs> that the creature inside of them is a human baby. Now... This is the craziest thing you have probably heard today, and it absolutely 100% came out of the mouth of one of the three or four biggest stars of the Democratic Party in the year of our Lord, 2022. So the next time someone tells you that a Republican or the Republican Party is a conspiracy party or a conspiracy theorist, remind them that one of the leading stars of the American left does not believe that human babies have hearts or actual heartbeats. I don't know what she thinks they are, but the dehumanization of human babies by Stacey Abrams was then defended, defended on the internet and on Twitter today by a whole bunch of people, including Glenn Kessler, the so-called fact checker at the Washington Post. It was outrageous, guys.
1: Totally. And it's not just extreme, and it's not just the liberal talking point. It's anti-science. they spent years telling us that this they are the party of science and then they come out with this and y- you mentioned glenn kessler he's getting dragged all over the internet by guess what actual scientists <laughs> by radiologists who say you're not even speaking fact there's there's nothing you know it, it this is scientifically and medically incorrect uh pradeep sikhar it, it's just absolutely bonkers and they're saying it and then of course the left-wing media is gonna carry their water on
4: it. Let, let let's just you know for a moment Take a step into crazy world with Miss <laughs> Abrams. Okay,
3: let's put our crazy hats on. Governor and... Abrams, if get we're our, crazy. get world. our put our yes, tinfoil yeah, yeah. on. In let's, the multiverse where she's yeah yeah
4: let's 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 take a step over to Earth eighty six, and <laughs> and so if the heartbeat is not developed at six weeks, you know, and that's you know why she doesn't support any sort of restrictions on abortion, and they're fake heartbeats. You know, when does the heartbeat develop? What is her position? At what point does she say that, you know what, there is an actual real human heart that wasn't manufactured by a bunch of gremlins uh, through a machine. Uh, At what point does she draw the line? She's refused to give any position on this. And uh, and this is just absolutely outrageous. And it, it exposes, Scott, you're exactly right, the conspiracy theory nonsense, but also just the absolute extremism on the part of these people.
0: What, what, I, what I find incredible about where the Democratic Party has gone this year is whenever, whenever something happens that is inconvenient for them or presents a problem, <laughs> their reaction to that is to immediately start asking crazy questions that, that the questions themselves are so insane that you begin to wonder, wait a minute, am I the crazy one? Or I, I mean, think about it. Earlier this year, a nominee for the U.S. Supreme Court said in a hearing, what, what is a woman? What even is a woman? Who can, who can possibly know? Joe Biden and the media. Well, I mean, what even is a recession? I mean, we don't even really know what a recession is. What's a recession? They've had no trouble defining it before. They, can, they, but they now have to question what it is. Joe Biden and his people. Well, I mean, what even is inflation? Joe Biden had a press conference this summer and announced that, quote, inflation is zero. Despite the fact that it's at a 40-year high And today, today, Thursday evening As we record this The question of the day on the American left is ha, What even is a human heart? What is a human heart? Maybe it's just a machine Making up the sound of a heart This is, this is the Democratic Party When something inconvenient occurs They begin to question basic knowledge Basic things that are in, not in dispute And yet they have the audacity to ask it. And you know why they have the confidence to do it is because they know there's an army of liberal chattering class people who will immediately die on every single hill.
2: Guys, the Associated Press with an article out over the last day talking about the amount of money the Democrats are pumping into uh, the abortion rights message. I'm going to send a quote from the article Democrats have already invested more than an estimated 124 million this year in TV ads referencing abortion twice as much as the next top issue this year of character, almost 20 times more than abortion related ads in 2018. So, Scott, starting with you and back to you on this, can you blame Stacey Abrams for leaning into abortion rights, no matter what the rhetoric or conspiracy theory that it is, if she believes that she's on the right side of the issue? And this could be the game changer for her to have a, a you know, a, a chance of uh, of winning the governorship there.
0: Well, I, I question. Well, first of all, you're, you're not wrong. I mean, Democrats want the entire election to be about Trump and abortion, Trump and abortion, Trump and abortion. However, I question the sanity of this strategy, because the NBC News national poll, pretty reputable uh, polling Uh, data over the years from NBC, came out this past weekend on Sunday, and they asked a very simple question and a very important question about this election. Which is more important in deciding your vote for the U.S. Congress? A candidate's position on dealing with the cost of living? A candidate's position on the issue of abortion? Cost of living scored 59%. Abortion scored 37%. So Democrats, including Abrams, and but but to be fair, virtually all the rest of them are trying to make the election about an issue that fewer than 40 percent of Americans say is that is the most important when compared to the obvious top issue, inflation in the economy and the cost of living. But the reason they're trying to do that is because they have no answer on the most important issue. So they're trying to make it about the fourth or fifth issue down the list now. You could have, I guess, reasonable disagreements about abortion. There are people who think uh, no restrictions or, you know, very limited restrictions are correct. And I guess you could have a spirited debate about that. But does anybody on this podcast tonight think the debate about abortion in this country is about whether human babies have actual hearts and heartbeats? And about whether, by the way, in her comment, she said that men, men had invented special machines to trick women into believing that human babies had human hearts is is that really the debate on which she intends to win the Georgia gubernatorial election i mean we're in space laser weather changing machine conspiracy theory territory here are we guys yeah, oh,
3: yeah. I, I don't know whether she read this on reddit or 4chan or 8chan or uh you know i don't know what her pizza gate is going to be but i'm sure we'll get it next week yeah i mean it's it's ridiculous it's not, you know, to your point, Scott. You've said this for months now that they've become uh, a one-issue party. And if that issue was working, then then fine, sort of roll with it. But this is such a weird position to take. It's such a weird. I mean, it is. It's, it's sort of like the QAnon of of their side. I mean, it's it's this made up, nonsensical part of this issue uh, to deflect. And so I, I have no idea who, what voter she thinks she's reaching here, or what, especially in this purple state, right? Like the normal person who who wants to have a robust debate about abortion is like wait what they they're like hacking the ultrasound <laughs> it's like what it's, it's well and
0: the, and the and the thing is democrats have wanted to portray republicans as extremists on this issue but i can't think of anybody in the republican party who holds a position anywhere near as extreme as the position of people invented machines to trick parents into believing that the creatures growing inside of you are humans with hearts. I mean, just the insanity of it. I mean, I guess I guess we could call that an extreme position, but that would be an insult to extreme positions. I mean, this is purely insane garbage. But it does give you some insight into just how uh, eaten up with this abortion issue uh, so many on the progressive left have become. And and I, you know, I've been saying this for months, and everybody in the media wants to dispute it. I'm just I'm just not sure this kind of rhetoric. Is what people are looking for even people who think uh, there should be some rights to abortion access out there i'm not sure they want to go out and defend uh the idea that uh, human babies don't have human heartbeats uh, while growing inside of their mothers
4: well and i I think too uh, there was this Axios story that came out today that uh was reporting on google searches and story interactions and looking at some of the trends there and abortion has fallen dramatically amongst the issues uh, that Americans are interested in in Google searching, and you know what has risen dramatically? Border security, immigration, mm. crime, mm. and guess what? The n- number one issue is jobs. Two taxes. All of these things. These are issues that are good for the Republicans. And I think the national conversation. If you look at this chart here, is that abortion has fallen out of the top ten issues that have been searched. And so been people?
2: On- I'm, I'm sorry, I was going to say, are are people as upset? by Ron DeSantis being able to reframe the arguments, to Sean's point. That when people, are, yes, are, are upset about the stunt or the prank or whatever you want know, to call it, the, the shipping of the migrants to, uh, to Martha's Vineyard, et cetera. But is the real outrage the fact that he's winning politically?
0: Oh, yes. I, I think 100 percent. The reason that Democrats are so upset about this is because they know how pure and how smart this whole thing was to expose the hypocrisy on the left, to expose the fact that everybody loves their hashtags and they love their sanctuary city resolutions and they love their campaign rhetoric. But they, what they don't really love is the idea that they would have to, to deal with this problem. And so the outrage is just that Ron DeSantis and Greg Abbott really put one over on them in these blue cities and in these blue states. I mean, Eric Adams, the mayor of New York City, made a fool of himself on CNN the other day. Uh, you know, we've had we've had uh, Democrat after Democrat falling all over themselves uh, to claim that this is some kind of human trafficking or whatever. Joe Biden's administration has been flying in the middle of the night, migrants from the border to cities all over the country for 18 months. And so I don't know what the difference is in depositing someone in Peoria versus depositing someone at Martha's Vineyard. And so I, I, I really do think DeSantis has exposed them. And I'll tell you, I haven't spoken to a single Republican person with a human heart and a human heartbeat <laughs> that that hasn't said to me what DeSantis did here was so brilliant and exposed so much about what it is to be on the left and dealing with this immigration issue. I've seen a few people on TV trying to mealy mouth it around the edges, but Republicans are behind not taking what the Democrats are doing at the border lying down. And what they're doing is, A, they do have an open border policy, and B, they're lying to the American people about it. People keep saying, oh, this is just nothing but a troll. Well, you know what else is a troll? A troll is when Kamala Harris says the border is secure. Or when Karine Jean-Pierre says, oh, no one's walking across the border. That's a troll. That's a lie. And that's what they're doing. And so DeSantis, I think he's fighting fire with fire. He made his point and I'm glad he did it.
1: And I think this is why, you know, we started the show with this. Momentum is coming back to the Republican side. There are a lot of people saying that, you know, Republicans have lost their edge from over the summer. I really think it, the swell is back on, on the Republicans.
2: I haven't caught up with those articles yet, Kevin. I'm still seeing the articles – but I'm doing the Google search like Sean's talking about. My Google's still showing when I type in Senate races 2022. I'm saying why the article, the headlines are why did Republicans lose their edge? What are, happened there? So, are you saying that? The, that are, the, the, are you
4: saying that the news media is not in line with what actual people care about, Joe? Well, you,
0: you tell me. <laughs> Look, the, the 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 thing is, the Republicans have never had an edge on regaining the Senate neither have the Democrats. This is a 50-50 Senate being exactly 50-50 today. And the races are being conducted, for the most part, in 50-50 purple states. They're all incredibly close. Now, the political environment is undulated. I do not dispute that Joe Biden's approval rating has risen, mostly because partisan Democrats who were grumbling over the summer have, have come back home to him. But it's not because he's He's uh, grabbing huge amounts of independents or undecided voters. It's just disgruntled Democrats deciding, okay, fine, I guess I'll vote Democrat again. There never has been an edge in the Senate. This map is 50-50. The country is 50-50. The races are 50-50, and that's where we stand today. I still think Republicans are a mortal lock to win the United States House, and I do think Republicans are swinging back after, uh, I think, a summer of irrational exuberance on the part of the Democrats, because things are coming into focus. Inflation is still terrible. The border problems are finally being exposed and people are paying attention to it. The national crime wave has never abated. I mean, all these quality of life issues, they haven't gone anywhere. And while the media has been fixated on abortion and climate change all summer, people out in middle America are still living their lives under conditions that they don't like. And now the election's coming. And those conditions still exist, and Democrats can't make them go away by simply ignoring them or lying about them.
2: We spent some time in Georgia a moment ago with Stacey Abrams. Let me ask you, Scott, first, and then Russ. I'm curious about your thoughts on this. As far as to what extent does Raphael Warnock in that race have to answer for Stacey Abrams? So often, people try to, you know, go on the you're the same party as this person. You know, Trump, of course, is the ultimate uh, example of that, defend everything that he's saying. Does Raphael if, Warnock have to defend Stacey Abrams or does he divorce himself from this?
0: I, if, if I were him, I wouldn't be anywhere near Stacey Abrams. I mean, there's some polling evidence in the Atlanta Journal-Constitution poll that came out this week showing um, Abrams losing but Warnock doing better than Abrams. That Abrams is even struggling among African-American voters. If I were Raphael Warnock, I wouldn't go anywhere near Stacey Abrams I mean he won an election she's never won an election if I were him I would stay as far away as possible uh, if I were Abrams I definitely would want to be drug along by Warnock I think but if I were his campaign I <laughs> I wouldn't want to be anywhere near Joe Biden I wouldn't want to be anywhere near Stacey Abrams I'd want to try to carve out my own path
3: yeah the irony in this in that Warnock wants to stay, stay away from Abrams and Abrams stayed away from Biden when Biden tried <laughs> to cut, I mean who even wants, I mean, t- talk about like low man, like lowest on the totem pole. They're like, if you're below where are we the guy, Warnock, uh, Walker.
0: I think it's a 50 50 race. There's been a couple of surveys showing Walker ahead, there's been a couple showing Warnock ahead. I truly believe that race is the closest toss up Senate race in the country. I, I really believe that. Although I will say, I believe Walker is vastly improved from where he was over the summer. The campaign is vastly improved. Republicans feel like. The winds are blowing in their direction in Georgia. Kent has, I think, got a pretty sizable lead on Abrams. And so if you're just looking at sort of states where it's an incredibly close race and Republicans have a good chance uh, to pick off a Democrat seat, right now I would put Georgia Joe uh, in second place behind Nevada uh, as as the two best places for, uh, for, for Republicans who are looking to pick up seats right now.
2: Uh, one of race that I watch really closely is Pennsylvania. I've been spending some time there uh, more recently, and there seems to also have been kind of a crest there for Fetterman. And it's, I don't know; it seems to me just from just from being there recently, is that maybe the the bloom was off the rose there a little bit with him, and a little bit more uh, scrutiny on him. But any any, any uh, update on Pennsylvania?
0: Yeah, I'll, I'll just briefly say I think Fetterman couldn't hide forever. They tried, but he couldn't hide forever. Uh, And if you've seen a video of him trying to speak in public, you know that they did not tell the truth about the seriousness of his health issues, number one. And number two, the Republicans have finally started to expose this guy's record, especially on crime. And I think in Pennsylvania, Kevin, and in Wisconsin, you're seeing the Democrat Senate candidates there, Fetterman in, in PA and Barnes in Wisconsin, answering for what are some extreme positions on criminal justice matters in the midst of a national crime wave.
1: Right, and they got pushed through, or at least Fetterman, in a competitive primary because he was the anointed progressive. He was the one that they wanted because he was the farthest left. I guess nobody actually looked at his record. He was the only vote to, I believe, let a convicted murderer out of prison early.
3: Yeah, some bizarre stuff there, and especially, uh, Scott, you mentioned the crime wave. Uh, Philadelphia, West Philadelphia has born and raised, I don't think really, you. I think you're like, oblig- that's an obligatory right. thing. But yeah, I mean, Philadelphia has suffered from this, you know, like Louisville, like some of these other cities for the past decade or so. And so I think voters know uh, this is not a new issue. This is not a COVID issue. Like some of these people have blamed these neighborhoods have been terrorized by crime and, and Fetterman, you know, to your point, had some suspect – as a suspect record on, on this issue. Did y'all see where this Fetterman
4: guy said he wanted to release all 1,200 inmates in prison for second-degree murder?
0: Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, that, that's the thing. Oh, yeah. That, yeah. That's, that's the thing about about these Senate races. If you can find somebody in their own words saying something so insane that – you know, like, you wouldn't believe – like, if I just said to you, oh, did you hear – that guy wants to let all the murderers out of jail. You'd say, what? No. <laughs> no I mean, way. Who, is, who would possibly want to let every murderer out of jail? And Aside from Bain, it, like, I, mean, <laughs> I mean, I know. And so it's and so it, it. this is one of those great campaign oppo research moments that and look, it's not like crime is an insignificant issue. I mean, especially in Pennsylvania, as was pointed out, Philadelphia is terrible. So. Uh, I think I think I think that's one of the reasons, Joe. You're, you've seen uh, some pullback on Fetterman. Now, it is true. Dr. Oz is still, I think, a tick behind in that race. Although I think it's tightened significantly. But the more, I mean, in some ways, this race is going to be a race to the bottom, right? I mean, Oz's image is underwater. The way to win over there would be to drag Fetterman underwater as well, and then let the national environment carry you uh, the rest of the way. And and some of this uh, stuff, Fetterman's views on letting the the murderers out of jail i just i have to believe that is going to sting mightily uh when voters go to the polls there
4: that's a whole lot worse you about than, two other go, go ahead i just say that's a whole lot worse than you know crudité you, know? <laughs> I mean, you know letting 12 1200 criminals uh, second degree murderers out of jail it's a whole lot worse than saying hey you know have here's some fancy vegetables Amen, brother. <laughs> Pennsylvania,
2: of course, is an open seat with Pat Toomey's uh, retirement there. Open seats always, you know, they're they know—they're—they're—they're—they're open, so that it's, it's more of a fascinating race there. So the two other ones, Scott, if we could just briefly, before you wrap up here, just give me an update on North Carolina and Ohio.
0: Yeah, I feel okay about North Carolina. Uh, Ted Budd, the Republican there, is, I mean, he's kind of a no drama, uh, just kind of a normal middle, you know, sort of, Run of the mill Republican. And by the way, in, a, in an environment like this one, that's a good thing. You know, I think the generic ballot in North Carolina is probably somewhere between plus three and plus five Republican. I think Bud's running a very uh, steady as she goes campaign. And I think Beasley's pretty liberal. And I think she's going to be aligned with Joe Biden. And I think in North Carolina, that's winning hand. Uh, I think North Carolina always tends to produce these sort of low single digit Republican victories lately. I suspect that's where we're headed. This time, Ohio, I feel fine about it I've seen some polling, it still shows the race close But they have dropped a ton Of bricks on Vance And we're now just seeing the beginnings Of the campaign against Ryan And even with Vance's image A little upside down, and even with Everything they've thrown at him uh, Throughout the primary, and now throughout The early stages of this general election The fact that Ryan is not winning Tells you what you need to know about Ohio They want to vote for a Republican They voted heavily for Donald Trump I worry about Ohio the least, uh, the Senate leadership fund, the Mitch McConnell aligned super PAC is in there, uh, exposing Ryan for what he really is, as opposed to what he claims to be. So I think in terms of Republican holds, if the Democrats are banking on winning Ohio or North Carolina, uh, their strategy is, is on flimsy ground. I just, I don't see Democrats winning there. Democrats have a much better chance in Pennsylvania in terms of pickups than they do in either of those two states.
2: We have been derelict here on Flyover Country with Scott Jennings with giving the update on the most important development in America. And that, of course, is a new Star Wars series. I want to <laughs> ask Sean and Scott about this. But I, but, I, but I find kind of a neat bookend here today because we began this podcast today talking about sort of like walking back comments and maybe not, not being clear in our language. I find it fascinating that Star Wars is launching a whole new series based upon and or I mean
1: and or so wow. That was a stretch there, Joe.
0: It's Man. a journey
1: to get to your point. <laughs>
0: Thank you, Jared. Jared, good job, buddy. We've been asking you to come up with some sound effects for the better part of a year you finally delivered for us. We really appreciate So Sean, it. You, you saw the and or?
4: Yeah, I did. I was uh I was uh, pleasantly uh Surprised with it, Scott and I got to actually see it together, Uh, didn't we, Scott?
0: We did. We saw a uh, we saw the first three episodes at a at a screening in a theater, and I'm going to admit, I thought the first two were a
4: little slow,
0: slow, uh, but then by the third one, stuff started happening, which is what you want a show. (laughs) Which is what you (laughs) want. Yes, that's very important.
1: Happening.
0: Uh, yes, yes, uh so uh but I felt that way about Obi-wan as well that I thought the first couple were a little, a little slow and and uh and but but once the third of one rolled around, so I'm, I'm I'm still have high hopes for this. I think Disney's done a pretty good job with the Star Wars series so far that uh, that they put out on Disney plus, so and, and this or is, this not is not and or and/or.
4: It it and it, you know, it focuses on on the character that was uh, one of the main protagonists in uh, the greatest Star Wars movie that's come out in this latest round, which was Rogue One, mm-hmm. and so uh, it was pretty yeah. pretty good pretty good to see them uh, at least doing what the fans wanted here, focusing on a story people like.
2: So you're you're gonna thumbs up for the Disney Plus franchise here?
0: Absolutely, and that'll be that'll be shown in my uh, joint scene red herd. We seen. The Andor's uh, first three episodes on Disney Plus, and we're going to give it a we're going to give it a thumbs up until proven otherwise.
2: So it's a joint, as opposed to
4: and or. All right. <laughs> right, that is right. right. <laughs> Lord have know. mercy. Oh, <laughs>
1: this really will do it
2: <laughs> for, for this week's edition of Flyover Country with Scott Jennings, for Jared Crawford, Sean Southern, Kevin Grout. I'm Joe Arnold. Scott, take us home. <laughs>
0: Thanks for listening. Wherever you listen to this podcast, however you learned about it, please give us the five stars. Please put it in your pod feed on the regular. Please recommend it to your friends and family. We would sincerely appreciate it. Thank you all who join us every week for listening to Fly Over Country. Fly Over Country with Scott Jennings is a production of Bluegrass Media Lab coming to you from the heart of middle America, Louisville, Kentucky. If you like what you heard, subscribe to Fly Over Country on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your favorite podcast.